1: Aloha, I'm so happy that you're joining us today. I have a guest that is somebody you really want to pay attention to and you really want to get her book because she's got something you need, whether you know that you need it yet or not. And it's uh, something that I really could have used in in my lifetime before now. And I'm in the process of making the arrangements that she's going to be talking to us about. This is Kimberly Best. And Kimberly, can you kind of tell us a little bit about you? Sure,
2: Emily. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. So I have been a registered nurse since uh, 1980, and I don't work in nursing anymore, though I kept my license. And um, I worked in every intensive care unit, trauma, and ultimately the emergency department. Got pretty burned out on the trauma part of that and uh, I tell a story in the book about a moment that kind of did me in for a little while went to graduate school in psychology and then realized that was just a little too slow for an ER nurse so went back into nursing Uh, then I went through a really bad divorce and uh, my brother who's an educator told me about something called transformative mediation at Hofstra University so that was the first I've heard of mediation uh, I went and checked that out, and then I got my graduate degree in conflict management. Um, somehow in there, I ended up writing the book because it tied together. It sort of felt like it brought full circle my nursing past along with my conflict management and uh, mediation present.
1: That's great. It, your book is a kind of a how-to-be-prepared book but it also uh uses such great examples that people it it humanizes it it's not like it's a just a a technical thing or it it really shows you the the necessity and the, the urgency of having things like this i i just to give our listeners my perspective on this my dad died suddenly and didn't really have everything lined up for that and it it caused a lot of stress and trauma for my mom and I was, was getting things all figured out and taken care of. And then she ended up getting a, a inoperable brain tumor. That She slowly deteriorated. And we didn't realize that she was already deteriorating because I, I didn't live in the town where she lived. And I would talk to her on the phone, but I couldn't tell by talking to her on the phone that, that something was going on. And then she started going kind of downhill fast, and I, I went and stayed with her for a while. and, I, oh my gosh. <laughs> I I was so wished that I had uh, talked to her when she was more cognizant so that we could be able to better handle her needs at that point. But I, I was able to let her make her own decisions. She was she was able to do that for until she didn't need to make decisions anymore she was able to do that so that that was really good but we also uh had a, a family company that we owned and dad had prepared nobody for that because he he didn't want anybody else to know how to run his business cuz of a bad thing that had happened in the past with somebody that came in and opened a new business just like it in town, which uh, after he learned what he did for my dad, so dad said, I'm not telling anybody. So mom didn't even know uh, about the business. So that was a whole lot of stuff. Then after that, after my mom died, I found out her her sister had the same brain tumor that my mom had. And I, I thought, well, I know where this is going. But another one of their sisters died in a car accident. And at the gathering after the funeral, my aunt came up to me and she goes, I did something that I need to tell you about. And I said, okay. And she said, I I went to an attorney and I got a power of attorney and a um, durable power of attorney for healthcare. And I've made you my decision maker. And I said, oh, did did, because Annie Silly Madge died, is that what inspired you? And she goes, no, I did it several years ago. (laughs) I <laughs> said you didn't tell me. <laughs> so, but and the other bad thing about that is she had uh, an only child, and he assumed that he was going to be the person. But he had been in an accident and had some damage that made his cognitive skills not so great. And she realized that and realized to to keep things to get things taken care of. She needed somebody who could. So she she chose me, and. Boy, was that a wild ride because it was a fight the whole way. They, they admitted he he called me when the, the first time that I had to deal with it, he called me to say that she was in the hospital and he knew I needed to know because I had her power of attorney for healthcare. And from then on, it just went downhill with uh, he and his uh, estranged wife were thinking I was trying to get all their money and rip them off. And it didn't have anything to do with that. It was trying to get her bills paid and get her taken care of. But it was it was miserable. And I so wish that I could have had that conversation with her when she was still okay and him before the accident so that, that we wouldn't have had all these things in the air. And what you're offering people is a, is a way for them to be prepared so things aren't in the air so that you can be comfortable with because we're all going to die. So you might as well be prepared because you can be that much more comfortable with what's going on if you are prepared. And the last thing you want to do when you're grieving is having to deal with all that stuff. Yeah, that's uh, very well said. And I want to
2: thank you for putting out there that we're all going to die because I always feel like I'm dropping the bomb when I tell people that. And the The other side of that, you mentioned someone who, you know, died uh, in a car accident. We just don't know if we have the next day. And, um, you know, I learned that in nursing, particularly in trauma and emergency department, nobody wakes up in the morning thinking they're going to be in the emergency room that day or in a trauma unit. And uh, there are the last decisions around all the legal things. Those those are important. So that saves your family a lot of pain and a lot of fighting. There's also, for me, uh, from a nursing perspective, the healthcare decisions, which are something that a family, if they don't know what you want, may carry the pain of having to take that make those decisions forever. And uh, oftentimes we err on the side of, treatment which uh, when it's when it's not even going to be helpful so just rethinking and being uh, proactive about how we do the end of life is really really important because as I say your life is your story and it's not about dying well it's about living well all the way to the end
1: Oh, that's right. I, I love that the way you're saying that. I I know a lot of what I do with people with dealing with grief is um getting them to write their story. And you, you want that story to not be tragic, you know. <laughs> you you want it to be the best it can be, and you can make that story better by taking care of things.
2: Yeah. That that's so true about not wanting it to be tragic and Everybody that I've worked with says, you know, our story is our legacy. And I had one client say, my ending is how I'm going to be remembered. And there's some truth in that, right? Like, even if it's your the funeral, it's what do you remember most about the person? It's whatever difficulty or ease that ending was uh, at least rounds out a story. So there's a lot of reasons it's important to do it. I even say, you know, we're modeling this for our children. You know, having conversations that we haven't had before about uh, ending well and normalizing the fact that indeed we are going to die. It's not a failure of the healthcare system. It's not because you ate too much bacon. It's because that's part of life. And the interesting thing is, Emily, I was talking on this last week and the day before I spoke, I ran across an article in the Atlantic. And it is that. People who have these discussions and do this planning live happier lives. So talking about dying will mean that you're more likely to live happy. And there's some pretty obvious reasons. One, one being you appreciate, you know, you recognize there's a finite number of days. And so you appreciate it. I, I relate to that saying none of us are as um convicted about how much we're going to appreciate life is when we leave a funeral home you know (laughs) but then two days go by and we're right back to you know the old stuff again so having this in mind for me definitely it just taught me that every moment matters you know being with so many people at their end of life that every moment matters and and I just believe that
1: I believe that too. That that just that's I really learned to live that way with my my last husband who died. You see, he believed very much in in living in the moment. And I just got so uh centered and things didn't rock me like they did before when, when my other husband was ill. They they both died from the same thing. They both were sick for two years before they died, and I didn't know that the second one was gonna have this when I married him. <laughs> So uh, there were lots of comparisons there, and and it was so much. It's so good to be able to be paying attention to the moment and make the most of it, and not think, "Oh, I can do that tomorrow," or "We'll worry about that later." And we didn't do that, and it it made a lot more happiness in our life.
2: Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. I uh, tell the story a lot of times about a gentleman who came to see me, uh, he had been a football player and he was, you know, in his early 60s. So he wasn't that old. And he'd been diagnosed with a a brain disorder that would would leave him progressively weaker and ultimately unable to swallow and and breathe. And he walked in my office and he said, you know, I'm right with God. So I'm just going to, you know, die. And I said, well, (laughs) that might happen that you die soon, but my dad had the same kind of problem and he ended up living for 10 more years. So while you might choose to wait to die, is there another option that you might choose instead? All that to say, we walked through all the planning, his family walked through the planning and the day that hospice came when he knew he couldn't go on on his own anymore and chose the day, was present for the interviews He actually told a very, a joke that's probably not repeatable, making fun of his ending, you know, Mm. and the family laughed because they had a great sense of humor. I left their house thinking how powerful that they're going into the end of his life with so much peace that they can laugh. And really, Mm. that's what having these conversations mean we're not thrown into some panicked area where we're lost it means we've paved a way into it and can walk through it not without pain because certainly there's oh, sure. you no know, pain with loss
1: but but with purpose which helps mitigate for that pain that's right and i i know um when when ron died he was on dialysis and he had chosen he was having terrible complications with the dialysis And he just decided that he wasn't going to do it anymore. And it it was very clear the, the amount of time that he was likely to be around without dialysis. And when he first made the decision, I said, should we call hospice? And he said, no, I'm not ready yet. And about two days later, he was ready. And when he did, he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we made a list of everybody he wanted to say goodbye to. We called everybody that we thought would be able to come over to Hawaii, and didn't they did? We had people all over the place for the, his last week, on ear mattresses and and everything, because nobody wanted to stay far away. They wanted to be right here with him. And the people that he couldn't that that couldn't come here, um, we made a list of all the phone numbers so he could call and FaceTime everybody he wanted to say goodbye to, and and he did. And when he finished all that, then he was ready to go. And he did.
2: You know, there's a lot of things that strike me in that story, but I actually got goosebumps because of your commitment for him to do it his way. Mm -hmm. You know, you had people on air mattresses in your house, but you were committed to him being the author of his own ending. And I think that's beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: So
2: I, I think, what does that give you now that he's gone? I mean, you know, for having done it that way, what has it given you that maybe you wouldn't have had if you'd have been like, oh, no, we're going to do this and this? Yeah. So.
1: It, it's kind of a sense of peace for me. And mm-hmm. I've realized the kind of decisions that I want to make about me, and I want people to know what those decisions are so it's not something that, oh, I don't know what she would have wanted when it comes to the end. So they, it made me comfortable with talking about that sort of thing because we talked about it for a while because he was sick for two years he's actually sick for longer than that but really dealing with all the ramifications of what was going on with him for two years and it it made it so that it it was okay it didn't mean I wasn't sad it didn't mean that I didn't cry and sob when he died but it everything was okay and it was much easier to deal with and Mm -hmm. I even, I I just want to share this little experience I had with you, just uh, Valentine's Day this year. He died five years ago. And so this was my fifth Valentine's Day without him. And I just, I wasn't, I was ignoring the day, wasn't going to do anything about it at all. And one of the people that he FaceTimed that he called was somebody that he hadn't talked to as far as I know the whole time we'd been together, but had been a very important person in his life before he knew me. And he talked to him, and I get this phone call from that man on Valentine's Day this year. And I said, you know who I am? And I said, yeah, I do. And he says, I only talked to you once when you handed the phone off to Ron so that I could have that conversation with you. And I said, I remember that. And he said, well, I was cleaning off my desk today, and a a scrap of paper fell out of a book that had your name and phone number on it because we were using my phone to make those, those phone calls. And he said, I just thought this must be Ron trying to tell you happy Valentine's Day. I may cry. <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, the,
2: the, thing, the thing is, it is true in the midst of all this pain. I mean, life can get pretty hard for all of us. And we all have to deal with grief and loss. But if you, if you are open, I think there's always some grace. There's always something that shows up as grace. And that just is amazing to me. Like the word grace just comes to mind hearing that. What a beautiful
1: story. Yeah, it, it, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I still think I get chills when I tell somebody about it because it was so powerful of an experience for me. But it also with how you were asking about uh, me feeling, I, I, I'm just good with life now and I'm good with whatever else happens know. I, the I, wife of,
2: oh, I'm sorry, the wife of this client I talked about, she said, I, I feel like they had a great marriage. They were married for 45 years or something. And she said, I feel like I should be more upset, but I'm really just at peace. Like, is something wrong that I'm not destroyed by this? I will I will maintain that it was just being prepared. It was grieving throughout the process. I'm sure mm-hmm. you grieved oh, along yeah. the way as well. But I also think a lot of it was having peace and knowing that he was the author of his own story, And right. it was on his terms the whole way. And yeah. the family was part of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, I, I just feel really strongly about um, being as prepared as you you can be. So that's, that's my, as I mentioned, why I wanted you to come on so that people could uh, get an idea of, of like with your book, your book just kind of breaks it down step by step, do this and do this and do this. And I can tell you, if you do what she tells you to do, <laughs> that you're going to have that sense of peace. It, it will come to you. you. You might be dealing with other things having to do with it going on, but you you just don't have to worry about that, all that stuff that comes up. and There's a lot of stuff that comes up with end-of-life decisions.
2: And I would take it even a step further and make sure that, unlike your aunt who said, guess what I did, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) have the conversations with the people who are and aren't involved. Make sure everybody's on the same page. So a lot Mm -hmm. of people write advanced directives, for example, and it says, I do want this, I don't want this, I don't want this they're done. Okay, well, those are three things that may or may not happen that may or may not be covered. But to have a discussion describing more of what you want, people can ask questions, you know, you can um, go into more detail and I set them up to win, just like you're setting them yourself up to win. But following up with a conversation is just as important as writing it down.
1: It is. And make sure that you understand what's going on and what things mean. An example of that for me was um, a relative of mine, uh, a couple. They'd been married forever, childhood sweethearts, and he had cancer and they knew he was going to die. And they had talked about him going on hospice and and they, they both agreed that that was what they wanted to do and he was going to be at home. Their idea of hospice is that when you go on hospice, somebody comes and stays with you in your home 24-7 and takes care of the patient and gives them all their medications and makes all the arrangements. That's what they thought hospice was. So when it got right down to it and they realized that his death was near and she called hospice and they said that they couldn't be out for several hours. And, of course, he died in the meantime. They were devastated because all already they were upset with people because they hadn't been coming and doing what they thought hospice should be doing, and then to have them not be there when they needed them most, and and for them it they were really upset about having to sit with him having died there waiting for somebody to come do something. So make sure that you know what you're getting into if you're if you're going to go on hospice, talk to the hospice people they'll they'll help you. And and say okay, what's what's the process? What's what's going on here? What do you do? And it, it, that conversation you can have before you go on hospice, so that you know that you're getting what you are expecting. Yeah, an interview.
2: I would you know interview. Like choose choose one that's a good fit because, mm-hmm. um, like doctors and everything else, there's differences, and some are better than others, and. Try to find the one that, you know, fits your needs the most, that feels like they'll show up the most for your needs as well.
1: That's right. Oh, I just thought of another example. We, especially when when one started having some challenges and with me having been through this with shock before, I said, we've got to get all our legal decks in a row. And we did. Uh, We were living in California at the time. And we brought all that stuff with us, and we had given our doctors copies of his um, advanced directives, and they all accepted it. The hospital accepted it, and so I didn't think anything of it. But when hospice came out, when he he came to the house, they said, well, where's your advanced directives? And I handed him a, a copy, and they said, you can't use this. And I said, what do you mean I can't use this? And they said, it's different in Hawaii. In Hawaii, it has to be on a green sheet of paper, and it has to be on your refrigerator, And if somebody happens to call and an ambulance comes out and they say, you've got this advanced directives and it's not the green piece of paper on your refrigerator, they will not accept it. And uh, I'm so glad somebody told me we didn't. Nobody called. We weren't in the position that anybody called because everybody knew what was going on. But I, I was terrified there for a moment, thinking that somebody would come out and do things against his will when it was clearly written in something that was legal but they said that it didn't apply in this state. Well, I, I do want to address that
2: because there's something that um most people don't know about. They that and then you just mentioned it and I think this is pretty much everywhere. Uh the advanced directives will go to a hospital and uh they you know it's a, it's a legal document, right? There's something called a post which is the physician's order sustained treatment which is the paper that people put on their refrigerator that is not a legal document. It is a doctor's orders. So first responders, and I know you know this, Emily, they are not making up their own minds. They're under doctor's orders, right? Mm -hmm. But your doctor's orders with your agreement with the doctor's orders supersedes their uh, emergency room doctor's orders. So if you have that with a doctor saying, you know, this patient will not be resuscitated or this patient does not want to be transferred or whatever it is that you have discussed with your doctor, and it's written in a physician's order, you can have your advance directives and then you have your post as well. Because in the absence of the post, the advance directive does not work for uh, first responders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have family there, they can possibly speak into that. But I don't know for first responders, you know, their their job is to get you to the hospital in one piece. So um, they, they can err on the side of doing, too, as uh, medicine is often does.
0: Uh,
1: that just is an indication of the, the vastness of all these different forms and things <laughs> that you have to uh, be aware of and, and have them taken care of and it's it's just really really important
2: right right and to understand what they are i used language i hope because i'm i'm not an attorney and doing the part around the legal work was my least favorite because i like the healthcare i like the relationship end of it but i had a, a, a attorney help me write it in language that i could understand which if i can understand it that means most people will be able to understand it as well. So um, because the legal ease is just complex. I, I work with lawyers as a mediator and I'm like, can you just break that down into English sometimes? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it, it is important to understand all the way around.
1: It, it really is. And you need to be sure that you've got people on your team that respect your wishes. Exactly. Is that I've had situations with doctors in the past where they believed that it was their absolute duty to to save lives, period. That's right. I
2: wrote up, I wrote about that in here, actually how to approach the physician, because I say that we go into a doctor's office, like we're cars going to a garage, you know, we drive in, we say, fix us and we want to drive off. And we let them make decisions very, very often. Uh, I think you should do this, okay? I think you should not do this, okay? We need to ask the questions. What is it going to cost me to do this? Not just in terms of finances, though that might be important to you, but what's it gonna do to my quality of life? What are the chances of it actually being successful? How much am I going to have to go through? You spoke about uh, the kidney failure for, for your husband. Being on dialysis is very, 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 very difficult for a lot of people. Um, and they need to know that on the front end. So asking, yeah, asking what uh, what are what is the price that I'll be paying for this? And what other options do I have? And it is your decision. It is nobody else's decision. You know, trust your gut, get as much
1: information as possible and own your life. That was one of our biggest problems with Ron was when his, his kidneys did fail he had been to the doctor a couple of days before and they went over his lab work and his lab work was really good and the doctor says i don't even need to see you for a while because you're doing so much better and and he felt really great about that and then two days later we got a call from the doctor's nurse on a saturday and the doctor was on his way he told us that he was taking his wife off island for a vacation for their anniversary and he had was just checking labs while he was sitting at the hot the Airport before he left, and called his nurse and said, "You got to call him and tell him that he has to come on right now. He's going into renal failure, and he's got to go on dialysis." And the nurse knew because I and the doctor knew too. We had talked to him about the fact that with all he heard about my other husband being on dialysis and the people that he'd seen experiencing, he had decided that he didn't want to go on dialysis. Mm And the the nurse was just frantic, and, and he, he said, I, I just don't want this. I said, well, you don't have to have it. Uh-uh. But I said, why don't, why don't we get the labs drawn again? Because two days ago, your labs were fine. So it could be that this is just a faulty test. And he said, well, that that's logical. Let's do that. So we, we went down to the hospital to get labs drawn and they immediately took him back and we're going to uh, start the dialysis right that minute. And he said, no, you know, stop. not. And we had the advanced directives. We told him he didn't want to start dialysis. And they said, well, we're just going to take care of this right now and then we can talk about it. Well, once you start mm-hmm. dialysis, you don't talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. and we had talked about it beforehand his doctor wasn't there to be the advocate the emergency room doctors didn't want somebody to die on their watch and it it, it started the ball rolling to a lot of bad things that happened to him with his health after that and i was uh, I, that's why i'm so much of an advocate is making sure that you've got everybody understands what you want what what the, the person who's dying once because that's that's the most important thing yeah that's
2: that's not an unusual story unfortunately and you're right they're geared towards saving and honestly to the point we're geared towards saving we forget that you're a whole person other mm-hmm. than your kidney failure right yeah so that's your family's job your job to say you know it's not about fixing my kidney failure which isn't going to be fixed because I know the progression of the other. It's about the quality of life I want while I'm here. You know, it's whatever it is that's important to you. You know, it may be if you want to try it for a while. There's there's no wrong answer. But to have the discussion, because so many people don't know what they're getting into. Um, Again, just blindly trusting, not that they're bad people, but they have a focus on making you better, even if that's not possible. They don't often tell you it's not possible. Mm -hmm. We can put you through all this chemotherapy, which might kill you. We can do open heart surgery to an 80 something year old, which is Mm -hmm. might kill you. We can do these things because we can fix the immediate problem. But can they fix the rest of your life? You know, probably not because we're at a point where we're dying. So Um, It is how do you want that ending? How do you want to spend that time? Mm -hmm. Because 90% of people do not want to die in a hospital.
1: That's right. And I, I know Ron didn't. And I know he didn't want to go on dialysis. And when he got to the hospital, they took him in the back and wouldn't let me go back there and I didn't oh, get to talk to anybody. I didn't didn't get to awful. be his advocate. And and that was one thing when the pandemic hit and all these people weren't being able to be with their loved ones. I thought, "Oh, I just felt so much for them because when you can't when you're in the position to be able to be an advocate but you're not allowed to, yeah. it's really hard." So that's that's all the more reason to have everything in writing.
2: That broke my heart, you know that you mentioned that because a lot of the population of people that we were protecting from uh, covid were people who are dying mm-hmm. and their caretakers who are the family members the friends whoever weren't allowed to be with them so loneliness is as devastating as any disease that you can have as far as even for your physicality and here we were a population of people who are in nursing homes near the end of their life anyway, robbing them of the quality. Now, I get you have to mitigate for disease as well, but whose decision might that be? And again, a conversation can be had weighing the risk and the benefits, but you having the ability to decide what you're willing to give up and what's important to you to keep. Yes.
1: Well, uh, we've talked longer than I thought we were going to
0: today. We could
2: talk all day, probably. (laughs) Yes, I think we probably could.
1: (laughs) So uh, I want to thank you so much for being here. And we're going to have all the links for um, Kimberly's information in the show notes so that you can buy a copy of her book and follow the directions. And this can be the greatest gift you ever give to yourself. So please I do want to add, oh sorry, sorry, Emily. That's I okay. wanted to add
2: really quickly that I do have a PDF on my website for group studies because I have had people, uh, church groups and whatever want to do studies. And I love coming in as long as it's Zoom, or I may come to Hawaii. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but to you know to be with the group during one of the chapters as they work through it or whatever, it's always a gift to me to meet the people and uh, have the discussion with them. So um, please feel free to help yourself to the PDF if you are interested in having a book club kind of thing or a group use of the book and let me know and I'll show up for you.
1: That is so wonderful. That, that just, what a gift. Uh, take advantage of that, people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's this, always it's, a gift to me. I meet the coolest people that way. It's very, 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 very fun.
1: Oh, and it's, it's nice to be able to, to spread the word, too, because if you go, even if you're not thinking about you or relatives, maybe you're young and you, you don't want to talk about that or think about that related to you yet, knowing it and telling somebody else, you know, I heard about this book and we had this discussion about it. And I, I think it would be a really good idea if, if you looked into what you need to do right now and that it just is a ripple effect so we can help that many more people.
2: Young people die too. I mean, it's, it's just it, we can all have this conversation. I had a five-year-old niece die of a brainstem glioma. I mean, oh. you just, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's life can be tragic or have its tragic moments. So I think uh, don't 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 wait to be old to do it, That's or right. don't wait until you're sick to do it. You know, I think it'll help you live your life the way you want to do it. The earlier you start planning what you want that chapter to look like.
1: That's right, absolutely.
2: Thank okay. you, Emily. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for for being here. And uh, everybody, look at those show notes, and then come back and see us next week, and we'll talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> something fun. <laughs> yeah, something fun next week.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, thank you all for being here, and and thank you, Kimberly, for for the gift
0: that you're given to the world appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode